The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Second hour, Pure Opelka. We are... uh, we are diving into a lot of things, and I have a bunch of emotion and anger inside me today. And uh, most of it's about, I, I kind of feel like I might be on the verge of becoming a snowflake. Although, I don't know if it's legitimate or not. I need you to you guys to tell me, am I becoming a snowflake? Seriously. The phone number, if you want to weigh in, 888 Am I exhibiting... Telltale signs of snowflakiness, snowflakedom? Or am I just someone who's saying, no, this isn't right, it must stop? And I was, I was going to use the word fairness in this next story, in the discussion of this next story, because I, I think what's going on here isn't fair to the rest of us. And, and then it struck me, am I being a snowflake? Because fairness... And yeah, we'll we'll cover whatever happens in uh, the White House press briefing that's scheduled to go on in a little bit. And yeah, we'll update you on on everything uh, that may be coming out of the White House after after the meeting with um, what are the Ukrainian diplomats came by today. And if we have any news on what's going to happen after our American child came home and, and died just days after being released from Norway. We'll get into that. But I have to get to this story because, because fairness. Do you remember Lawrence Taylor? Lawrence Taylor. Does that name ring a bell? Lawrence Taylor is, was a football player. He's now in his late 50s, 58 years old. He was a linebacker for the New York Giants. A guy set all kinds of records when he was a player. A guy who has two Super Bowl championships under his belt. He retired in 1993. Lawrence Taylor made a lot of money as a football player, had a lot of fame, and he also had problems. Lawrence Taylor had some run-ins with the law. In 2010, he pled guilty to patronizing a prostitute and having sex with a minor I'm pretty sure he's had some rehabs for some drug-related issues. But over the weekend, so now you've got a guy who pled guilty to um, patronizing a prostitute and having sex with a minor. This is a guy who's got a criminal record. And over the weekend, seven years after that criminal record was exposed or, or was admitted to, over the weekend, Lawrence Taylor was arrested and pled guilty for driving under the influence after he sideswiped a police car and a motorhome in Florida. He sideswiped a police car and a motorhome, and they, uh, they pulled him off the road, and they gave, him, they gave him a field sobriety test, which he failed. Then they took him to jail. A few year, a few hours later, like five hours later, they said, we're going to give you a breathalyzer test. When they gave him the breathalyzer test, almost five hours later, he still was over the blood alcohol limit of the state of Florida. Five 
hours after he was arrested, according to the arrest report, he measured 0.082, and the legal limit in the state is 0.08. And again, this was five hours after he failed a field sobriety test. Lawrence Jones pled guilty. Now, what do you think happens to a guy after he has been convicted of, uh, of patronizing a prostitute and also having sex with a minor and has some previous problems in his background? What kind of leniency or hard sentence do you think a guy like that gets? He's, he's, um, he's been sentenced to perform 75 hours of community service. He also has to enroll in DUI prevention courses. It says enroll. It doesn't say show up and complete. He has to pay $1,500 in fines. And um, he has to install one of those ignition interlocks on his Bentley. Now, do you think you and I would get the same treatment? No, of course not. There's absolutely no way in hell that would happen. But Lawrence Jones, because he's got two Super Bowl rings. I'm sorry, Lawrence Taylor. Why, did I say Lawrence Jones? Ha, I hope he's listening. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor. I got Lawrence Jones on the mind. <laughs> oh, he's going to smack me. Lawrence Taylor, because he's got two Super Bowl rings, doesn't get jail time. He's got to do 75 hours of community service. You know what that is? That's not even two weeks worth of work. Not even two weeks worth of work. My apologies to Lawrence Jones. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor, former football player, treated differently than you and I. Just to let you know, there's, there is a different system outside of the one that you and I are a part of. And it's the same thing we were discussing today. We're discussing uh, whether or not Anthony Weiner will actually spend time in jail. I'm still betting he makes a deal to spend zero time in prison. After all, the judge who, uh, who said he was going to sentence him scheduled the sentencing hearing after the summer Hampton season ends so that Anthony Weiner can spend his summer in the Hamptons wondering about how much jail time he's going to get. And you know there's all kinds of wrangling going on behind the scenes. Just maddening, isn't it? I know. I know. And speaking of maddening, yesterday the Russians said to America, we don't like what you did with the Syrian jet. We're not pleased that you shot down a Syrian jet just because it was bombing some of the forces that you are supporting and so they told us that any American plane that crosses the Euphrates River, goes west of the Euphrates River in that region, will be considered an enemy incursion. Well, today there's a report on, uh, on Fox News, the world site, that an armed Russian jet came within five feet of a United States reconnaissance flight over the Baltic Sea. A Russian Su-27 jet which has air-to-air -air missiles under its wing, uh, approached a, a U.S. jet, an RC-135. And uh, according to the report, 
on the Fox News site came within five feet of the American aircraft. Now, that's that's a little disturbing. And it's also uh, the report calls it provocative. I'd say it's more than provocative. I'd say that that is uh, that is pretty damn near intimidating and wanting an attack. Now, since June 2nd of this year. According to this report, there have been more than 35 such interactions in the Baltic region between the American and the Russian jets and warships. But this one, this one has been called unsafe by at least one official. And it happens one day after the Russians said, hey, uh, watch it. And also follows up on the same day of another report saying that uh, we have shot down drones in Syria now. Military drones, not somebody who's got a camera on a drone flying it over the area. So we need we need to actually have a moment where we can maybe try and get the uh, channels of communication opened up again between the American diplomats and the Russian diplomats now that the the phone line that supposedly keeps us from having mid-air collisions in the region has been knocked out. Now that that line is down, uh, we need some diplomacy here. And I'm hoping the president and Rex Tillerson will make that a priority. Interesting. Right? Right. All right. At the bottom of the hour, we are supposed to speak to a gentleman who just returned from North Korea. Uh, he is a man who's in law enforcement, who was on one of those tours. He sent me some photos, and I really am intrigued to find out what he thinks about the story of Otto Warmbier. We all know what, well, I think it's a general consensus that Otto Warmbier was murdered by the North Koreans. Glenn Beck had a pretty interesting take on it this morning, almost in a a mafioso-like dumping of a dead body on the front porch of their opposition, of their rivals, saying, all right, now what are you going to do? We're in your neighborhood. What are you going to do about it? It's a little, a little troubling to see that happen. But we'll see what his take is on this. Plus, uh, with any luck, uh, my buddy Simon Owen is going to check in from London and give us an update on what's going on in London and see if we can um, get the latest on what the investigation is into that crash and uh, that, that hit the people outside the mosque, as well as the Parisian attack, which I still believe was terrorism. And, uh, and while we're at it, How about a little uplifting story? We've been talking about some stories that are disturbing and seem to be unfair. But there is an uplifting story today, and uh, it it includes the update that Steve Scalise, the congressman, the House Majority Whip from Louisiana, who was shot just about a week ago, that he's upgraded into a, a more stable situation, hopefully to recover. And if we... Believe what his doctors told us at the initial press conference. If they can get him healthy, he can recover to the point where he will be able to walk and run as much as he wants to, as much as his will and will to recover will let him achieve. But here's the warm story, the warm part of this story. The Washington Examiner reports that uh, North Carolina Republican Representative Patrick McHenry's wife, Julia, is coordinating with other House spouses 
and they are providing daily lunches and dinners to the Scalise family. Just a great story to see that that the the women who are serving alongside their husbands in D.C. have gathered their selves and their spirits together and are trying to help the Scalise family. McHenry, Mrs. McHenry, Julia, is also hosting a blood drive on Capitol Hill. And this is according to Politico. This story is just proof that there are good folks out there who will come together. And uh, I remember, I remember one day looking out my neighbor's window and seeing ambulances pull down our, the street in our little subdivision outside of Chicago. And my buddy Pete and I decided, I, I was eight or nine years old, wow, fire trucks, ambulance, we got to go see what's going on. And we rode our bikes down the street only to see it was happening at our house, that the door flung open and out on a gurney wheeled with a, an oxygen mask over his face was my dad, and he was struggling to breathe. He couldn't breathe. And as a eight- or nine-year-old, you're sitting there going, oh, my God, what's going on? And you watch him throw that gurney into the back of the ambulance and drive off. And my mom is in, crawling inside to go with them. And she's crying. And you don't know what the hell is going on. My dad had a near-fatal asthma attack that day. And they managed to save his life. And then he lived the rest of his life and as an asthmatic, but he, he managed his illness. But that was the scariest day I had as a kid. And I remember that subdivision, that little Wonder Years-like subdivision, came together. And all the moms came over that night. Because he wasn't coming home that night. He was coming home in a couple of days, and maybe mom was coming home late. But all of a sudden, we were surrounded by casseroles. Because that's what you did. That was the Catholic response to tragedy. You brought food. But it was also proof that that's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do. Nobody looked and said, are those Opelkas Republicans or Democrats? They were just a family in need. And they responded to the need not the politics. Look for the need first. Respond as humans. That's what all of us need to do. Good for you, members of the House, the wives of the members of the House who are looking after the Scalise family. Kind of gives you hope, doesn't it? We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. 
Welcome back to Pure Opelka. I will tell you this. Um, North Korea is a place I would have wanted to go. I actually would have wanted to go. And now, uh, with the death of Otto Warmbier, I'm, I'm wondering if I'd be able to behave myself while, while over there. So it's probably a good thing. I didn't know about these tours that take people from different places. I, they're very um, low-cost tours, from what I understand. They are tours that take you into North Korea, and you don't get to see too much. Well, you don't get to see anything the government doesn't want you to see. But I, I would have had a hard time holding my tongue. As you know, I might be a little bit of a smart ass. So uh, that that might have been difficult for me uh, to keep my mouth shut. So uh, I'm, I guess I'm glad that they've decided they're not going to take Americans on their on their trips anymore because I now I have I have an excuse to say I can't I can't go there I'm sorry I can't go there just around the corner at the bottom of the hour we're going to talk to a guy who did just get back from North Korea a guy who is a member of law enforcement who connected with me through some of the stunt brainiac network here on the Twitter and on the Facebook and so we'll we'll be able to uh, discuss that. Also, I, our buddy Simon Owen, who reports for Fox News Radio out of London, uh, reached out and uh, we talk a little bit about Paris and London and what's going on. So we'll get an update on that. And uh, remember, we talked about what about her earlier. We talked about the fact that in 2009 and early 2010, the Republicans sound like the Democrats sound today talking about, well, we didn't get to see the bill. We didn't get to vote on the bill. We got locked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just about switching uniforms. It's not about actually getting anything done. And it's irritating to those of us who expect our congressmen and senators to actually do something. And, and then and then we got the flashback, courtesy of uh, someone in Louis Gohmert's office who sent me a clip saying, oh, d- don't forget when there was hypocrisy all over the place in the Democratic Party over immigration. They want the administration, the Trump administration, to continue pressing for border security and build the wall. And they sent me this clip. The bill before us will certainly do some good. It will authorize some badly needed funding for better fences huh. and better security along our borders. Sound that familiar? That help stem some of the tide of illegal immigration in this country. I don't oppose building a fence where you need to do it, where the border is porous. I just don't have a problem with that. Well, look, I voted uh, numerous times when I was a senator to spend money to build a... Uh, a barrier, a barrier to try to prevent a barrier. Um, hmm. illegal immigrants from coming in. Interesting. Um, and I do think you have to control your borders. Interesting. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. Interesting, isn't that? Interesting to see all of those Democrats saying things about the border. It kind of is the 
The same situation with health care. It's the same situation. We need to address this. And we need to address it. And, and I'm telling you, save the date, Election Day 2018. We need better conservatives. When we get back, let's talk North Korea with the guy who just got back. Next, I'm Pierre Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. One of the most fascinating things about my job is not that I get to be on the radio spewing my opinion, but it's I get to speak to fascinating people with wonderful stories. I get to live vicariously through some of their travels and I get to experience their opinions. And this happens with the callers to this show. Those of you who pick up the phone, and join the conversation, 888-933-93. Those of you who weigh in on Twitter. Those of you who will then occasionally say, I have a friend you need to meet, you need to talk to. I have a friend who has a story to tell. And it's happened so many times over the three plus years of the existence of Pure Opelka on the weekends and now the Daily Show. And it seems to be happening more and more as we go on this journey together. And as someone who believes in that statement, there are no coincidence, coincidences. There are just things happening that are supposed to happen to you. And if you're paying attention, there's, there's an important lesson there somewhere. Well, about two weeks ago, a good friend of this show who listens faithfully said, I have a buddy who just got back from North Korea. And he sent me the contact information and some of the pictures that this man was sending back from North Korea. And he said, you probably need to talk to him. And at the time, there was all this going on in the bluster of the the missile launches, et cetera, and the discussions of what are we going to do and the hand-wringing over how are we going to prevent the world from blowing up and Kim Jong-un from doing something really foolish. And we kept missing our connections. And then in the wake of the, the release of Otto Warmbier, suddenly the connection was much better. And so today, joining us on the phone is a guy who's just come back from North Korea, a man named Brian Saylor, who is uh, a guy in law enforcement who who has an interesting story to tell about his experience in North Korea, what he saw, what he experienced, because he spent time in South Korea and in North Korea. And, um, you know, Brian, I, I welcome you to the show. I wish I'd met you in person. We've only spoken briefly. But I appreciate the fact you, you've said, let's carve out some time and talk here. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Now, now, you planned this trip, uh, 
months ago. And I, I guess my first question is, why did you want to go to North Korea? Well, that's right. I started planning, um, you know, late last fall, I guess, sometime around October or November. And um, the reason I wanted to go to North Korea is that I've had this sort of longstanding interest in Korea. Um, back in 1998, I was stationed in South Korea as an enlisted soldier in the U.S. Army for the whole year, from January to December 1998. And um, I didn't particularly like being in the Army, but I enjoyed being in South Korea. It was my first time in a foreign country other than Canada. And so it was a real experience that uh, I got to kind of contact a, a foreign culture for the first time. And so I developed an affinity for it and appreciation for it. I got as far away from the military stuff uh, on my days off as I could. And I went out and kind of experienced the place. And um, I liked it enough that after I got back out of the army, I went to college. I returned to Korea as an exchange student, as a civilian uh, in South Korea. And I spent a semester at Yonsei University, which is dead in the middle of Seoul. And I got to experience the country without being in the military. And that kind of reinforced um, my appreciation for it. Do you and speak so, the language, um, Brian? Were you, were you fluent? Uh, no, not at all. I, um, I just, I, I picked up a few phrases and I kind of learned how to read and pronounce some of the letters of the alphabet. Um, but I didn't actually study the language to the point where I could, could use it with any fluency. Um, but late last fall, like you said, I started planning and I decided, well, I'd like to revisit, you know, South Korea because it's been so long since I was back. And and I started making the plans. I got a little carried away. Uh, and I ended up deciding that if I'm going to fly that far, that I should make a big tour of Asia out of it. So I actually visited South Korea, China, Tibet, and North Korea. Well, in, in terms of getting into North Korea, did you go with one of these tour groups that takes people from different countries and has diplomatic ties to North Korea? Or how did you get in there? Well, you have to go with a tour company um, if the purpose is tourism. There are, there are some people that go there for, um, you know, teaching, and there are people that go there to work for humanitarian organizations and NGOs and stuff like that. But if you want to go for tourism, you have to go through one of the approved uh, tourism companies. So I went with one. It's actually a U.S.-based company. Uh, it's based out of New Jersey. Uh, run by an American who's ethnically Korean, and um, they they handle all the arrangements. They handle the um, the visa application and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so you get you get there and you spend a, a few weeks. You said touring South Korea, and then how long were you actually across across the DMZ into North Korea? Uh, it was a five night, six day tour. And were you constantly under the watch of North Korean military? Uh, no, uh, actually, I didn't really see any military at all, except for the brief tour that I had of the DMZ when I was on the North Korean side. I had a, um, an army, I think he was a lieutenant, that was the guide just at the DMZ. But the rest of the time, I had civilian tour guides. Um, I think that's one of the 
misconceptions that people get if they only learn about North Korea from the media is that it's that it's all it's all military. Everybody there is in uniform and it's all missiles and it's this and that. And it's uh, and it's not. I mean, at least not in my experience. Well, um, some of so the no, pictures I didn't. That, I, didn't I was going to say yeah. some of the pictures you posted of uh, the housing and the the hotels and the buildings. They it looks like a high rise city. But there's one thing that seems to be missing, and that's pretty much people and, and normal traffic that, uh, as someone who lived in New York City for years, for decades, I would be panicked if I looked out my window and saw nobody on the streets or the sidewalks. And it just seems like it's a, it's a Hollywood prop when you look at some of the pictures. Uh, well, that's a criticism, I guess, that a few of my uh, friends pointed out, that there don't seem to be many people in the photos. Um, I'm not really sure why that is, because I saw plenty of people. Uh, maybe that's more of a commentary on my photographic style, I guess. I don't know. I tend to take pictures <laughs> okay. of things when there aren't people sort of photobombing, I guess. Um but, uh, no, I mean, I saw plenty of people. It was, uh, if you were there at rush hour, you know, there were plenty of people moving around. And, um, you know, that is one of the criticisms that, that people have, that these tours or that much of what you see there is somehow staged or that it's a prop. And, you know, I crisscrossed the capital city for three out of the six days I was there. And it's pretty hard to, to fake or stage or prop a whole city. Um, and it, so I didn't get that impression. Um, it could be, you know, the times of days that I would, that I was seeing things, maybe not being at rush hour while most people were at work, things like that. But I saw people out and about walking, playing in parks, doing things that people do on the weekends, stuff like that. So I guess my, there, there's a dearth of, of people in my photos, but that may be more, more the photographer than, than the actual country, I guess. You show a couple of parks where people are playing on a Sunday, playing volleyball or something like that, or kids on a playground. Yeah. But it, it's still, when, when I look at the photos, and they are, they are pretty darn amazing, the photos you posted on Facebook. I don't know if they're open or if you post them in any open source area. The architecture in many places is very modern. Uh, the, the, the rest of the high rises, which look like residential high rises appear to be kind of like 1960s New York city high rises. And some of the mass transit looks like, looks like 1960s electric trains that you'll see in any big city. Uh, but I, I, I'm just curious, did you get any sense of the kind of, uh, oppressive regime that we so often hear about? Uh, or is there an awareness of the Western world? Because we always hear that North Korea is isolated, that they'd have no idea what we're about, what the Internet's about, or anything like that. Um, so that's a great question. And um, I have to say that one of the, the, the big impressions that I carried away from my time there is, is that um, – they actually know a lot about what's going on in the world. Um, at least the people that I interacted with, um, they asked me questions about a whole variety of things. I had two English speaking tour guides, uh, the entire time I was on the trip and we interacted with quite a few people along the way at the different places that we visited. And I had conversations with them about a whole variety of things. They do get news. I mean, they get it from their, 
you know, their official news source, so they get their spin on it, but they get news. So they, they asked me about things like why James Comey had been fired. And that was only like a week out or two weeks after it had happened. They asked me about why Trump was under investigation over uh, Russia. Um, they asked what people in the West think about the missile tests. They asked about what is American popular opinion about bringing troops home eventually from South Korea. You know, so they asked me about some very current things. And they asked me about other things, too, that didn't have anything to do with politics. I mean, they asked me about just kind of daily life and pop culture and stuff. But, um, you know, they do get news. In fact, when I was when I was there, North Korea conducted one of their missile tests on a Wednesday, right in the middle of the, the week that I was there. And I knew about it on the same day because my hotel had two English language news channels in the room. So I watched the coverage of it. Yeah, I, and, uh, Brian, Brian, yeah. hang on one second. Can you I want to take a short break. Can you stay with me? Because I want to talk about that. The, the TV coverage was courtesy of Al Jazeera. And I want to find out what it was like to be in North Korea when there was a missile test and the coverage in your hotel was from Al Jazeera. Uh, can you yeah. hang on one second? Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're talking to Brian Saylor. He's an American who just got back from a pretty extensive trip in uh, the Far East, which included five days in North Korea. And we'll get back to this right after a break. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. I could talk to this guy for hours. Brian Saylor's with us. He's just back from North Korea, finished a a trip that let him spend five days in North Korea, six days, five nights in North Korea, getting to see parts of the, the nation that we don't see. And some of the pictures, Brian, some of the architecture really stunning, the technology stunning. Um, it's obvious that it's, it's all controlled. All the information is controlled. The government lets out or lets be seen what they want to be seen. So, uh, I, I, part of me wants to say, I I wish you were able to break away from the group for a day and ride a motorcycle out into the country and see what they don't have showing. But when we left, you were talking about, you were there when one of the missile launches happened. And uh, the television that you had in the hotel, the English speaking television was Al Jazeera that was English speaking. And what was the tone you felt in that? Um, So actually, on the topic of the missile test, um, Al Jazeera and the one other English channel that I had, which was something that came out of China, um, they were actually fairly you know, right down the middle. They, they didn't editorialize a great deal either way. Um, in fact, one of the two, and I don't remember which one, actually featured comments from a South Korean defense official condemning the test. And I'm sitting there in my hotel room in North Korea watching it. <laughs> and um, so that was pretty much down the middle. Um, Al Jazeera kind of focused more that week on Trump's visit to Saudi Arabia because that was happening at the same time. 
And so Al Jazeera being based in the Middle East, that was kind of more what they were interested in. But the, um, the coverage on the missile tests, I thought was, you know, fairly balanced. They mentioned that it was a violation of UN resolutions prohibiting the tests and stuff. So it seemed, um, it seemed pretty down the middle to me. Now, in this, in this trip, and I've only got like a minute left here, uh, as I've looked at all the, the stuff you've, you've shown us, uh, and, and I hope people will track you. It's, uh, it, do you mind if I give out your Facebook, uh, the spelling of your name? Sure, go ahead. It's uh, S-A-Y-L-E-R, Brian Saylor, S-A-Y-L-E-R. Brian has posted many photos. Uh, would you say we have anything to fear from North Korea, or do you feel like we actually have a, a situation where we might be able to establish diplomacy and diplomatic relations with this country? That, that's a great question, and, and I could, kind of like you said when you came back on the air, you could talk about it for hours. I feel like I could talk about it for hours. It's, it's hard to pack that into a minute. Yeah. Um, we have a choice in front of us, the way I see it. Given all the tension, given what just happened with Mr. Warmbier, uh, we have a choice about which direction we can go. We can try more hostility and more isolation and more sanctions and hope that works, or we can try something different. And, well, you know, maybe maybe there's a chance that could happen. I think that might be more successful if we did. Thank you, Brian. We're up against Michael Pelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network.